You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning, church. That's so good, man. You guys are good today. You're on it. All right, here's my question to get you thinking today. What God thing, what God thing do you believe needs to happen to make this world a more heaven-like place? I want you to think about it for a second. One of mine, one of mine is I have this dream. Um, I've said it a couple times from the stage. I've had it in my heart for a long time, but been trying to make some headway, working with some people at Kingsway uh, to make this a reality. I think it's going to be a long term. It's going to take a long time kind of dream, but trying to make some progress. My dream is this. I want to see Kingsway become the center for orphan care in Hendricks County. That's the only way I could describe it. That's like what this big dream I have in my heart for us. So and, and, and it's taken a lot of work. It goes above and beyond my... Above and beyond my natural responsibilities, a little phone rang in case you're wondering what I just did there. Anyway, um, so what is, what is the God thing that you believe needs to happen to make this world a more heaven-like place? So if you remember when Jesus walked the earth, he went around and he kept saying, the kingdom of heaven is, anybody know? It's here, it's near, it's, and, and he uses these different phrases. The whole idea is God brought heaven to earth. And then Jesus went back up into heaven, and the whole point is he sent behind him the Holy Spirit to live inside all of those who trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. And when the Holy Spirit came to live inside us, we now represent heaven on earth. So the question is always, how are we bringing heaven to earth? Do you know what it is? One of the ways you might discover it for yourself, in case you don't know yet, is just notice the things that God keeps putting in front of you. And as long as they're God-honoring things, then maybe it's God-stirring in your heart. Here's what I mean by that. If you watch Fox News or CNN, depending on which side of the political spectrum you fall on, and you constantly get angry at something political, but it has zero to do with the heart of God, let it go. Let it go. Don't hold it back anymore. Let it fly. All right. However, if you're watching the news, if you're reading a news article, if you're hearing a sermon, if you're reading a Bible text, if you're listening to the radio, if you're in a conversation with a friend, it's something keeps coming up over and over again. And there's something inside you that screams, that's not okay. If there's something inside you that says, I want to be on that winning team, then maybe just Maybe God is stirring in your heart to do something significant. Now, I know, I know what goes next through almost all of our minds. There is no way that I can do that. Do you know, fill in the blank, do you know how busy I am? I don't have enough money. I'm not trained to do that. I've literally never experienced that. Certainly there must be somebody else responsible. And we have all of these answers that we have predetermined that when God speaks, we're going to shut him down. And we feel really good about it, right? Or maybe it's not any of those excuses so much. It's just simply that when we walk out of a message, we turn off the radio, we shut the book, we put it down. We just move on with our lives, you know, there's another meal to be eaten. There's another game to be watched. There's more stuff to play with our kids. There's homework assignments to get done. And everybody knows work is never done. You just shut the computer and leave and come back the next day. But it's a never-ending grind, right? And so if we, quote-unquote, get on the hamster wheel and just keep going about life, if we spin the wheel enough times, we'll just forget all these little other things. Except what if, what if God has something bigger in mind for you, for me, for us, that's just waiting, waiting for a group of people to step into what he's called them to. Now, we live in a world that recognizes that at some point we all get depleted and feel like we don't have what it takes. And so, our world is filled with products intended to fill the void. Here's just a few small examples. Anybody recognize this company? I feel like this is a little bit gross. It's like, can you not keep it in your mouth, dude? Like, really? 
Gatorade, I love what it says here. Gatorade quenches your thirst and replenishes your body's electrolytes, vitamins, and minerals that get lost while sweating. It's formulated with an amount of energy that keeps you going at your highest level of performance. When you have completely depleted yourself because you're out on the field or the court or whatever it is that you play and you have nothing left, don't worry, Gatorade will be there to help you out. Or maybe you don't like Gatorade, you don't like their flavors, but perhaps you prefer this brand, Powerade. And one of their major taglines, power through. When you feel like you don't have what it takes, when you're exhausted, when you're depleted, don't worry, we'll fill you up. I heard one sports nutritionist say, you know, the key to sports drinks is understanding the word sports. They're not just drinks. If you're sitting around drinking Gatorade and Powerade, sitting on the couch watching others play sports, there's a good chance it will be in you and stay. <laughs> it's one of my problems. But maybe you're not so much into the athletic thing. Maybe you just go to work and you get the 2 o'clock blues. And you just feel tired. Or maybe it's not the 2 o'clock blues. It's the 8 a.m. blues. And you go, oh, i got to go do this job again. And I don't have what it takes. Don't worry. We've got your back because Red Bull will give you Wings. I think I read, and I don't know if this is true, I think I read they actually got sued for that um, because nobody actually got wings when they drank Red Bull, which is probably a good thing because it might be a little creepy. But the whole point is when you're tired and you're depleted and you don't have what it takes, you're not sure you can get the job done, don't worry, we will lift you up and carry you on wings like eagles. Maybe that should be in the Bible or something. All right, how about this one? Last one, last one. Five-hour energy. I love this one because they're actually mocking themselves. Bah, regular strength. Who wants regular strength when you can have extra strength? I don't know. Why do they call it 10-hour energy then? I don't know. Anyway, like who doesn't want to do push-ups with a dog on their back? I do my push-ups with three little boys on my back. It gets increasingly harder the heavier they get, by the way. The whole idea of five-hour energy is when you don't have what it takes, just drink us and you'll be able to go for another Hey, look at that. Somebody was paying attention. Five hours. We got your back, for f which I think they ought to call it what it really is. This is two-hour make you jittery till you throw up energy, and we're going to slowly taper off until you really feel useless. There's a whole movie about honest advertising. It was kind of funny with Dudley Moore. Anyway, the whole idea here, though, is when you don't have it in you, don't worry. We'll go ahead and put it in you. But what's the catch on all of these? Drink Gatorade and go back in the game, and you're going to get tired and thirsty again, so what are you going to have to do? Drink more Gatorade. Drink more Powerade. <laughs> Five-hour energy. <laughs> we'll pick you up between one and three every single day, but when you get home after work and we've worn off, you might need another one. And since you're going to stay up till 1 a.m. watching Netflix, <clears throat> binge-watching whatever show you've chosen, you're going to wake up tomorrow tired, and you're going to need another what? <clears throat> Five-hour energy or Starbucks, or fill it out. We are, the, <clears throat> I'm sorry, we are the most caffeinated generation of all time. And I'm not sure whether to say amen or to cry. But we are, are we not? Like, I'm proud of myself. I've cut back like five or six coffees in about the last three to four weeks. You could clap for me, really, it'd be okay. Oh, thank you, thank you. You didn't mean it. <laughs> Let me ask you this question again. What God thing do you believe needs to happen to make this world a more heaven-like place? Because I know this. The anxiety that is screaming in your head, that is trumping the sound of God in you right now, is telling you that in your flesh you don't have enough. And if somehow, if I as a pastor could brand a drink, a food item, a shot, a pill, a something you could take that would just fuel you on, then you go, okay, pastor, I believe. I believe that I can actually work with kids. Even though I deal with my own all week long, I want nothing to do with them anymore. I will believe, pastor, that I could actually play an instrument or sing on a stage like those people I see. I, if you could just give me that pill, I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll gladly get up there. I believe, Pastor, I just believe, you know, that, that I could probably teach people like you do. Man, if you could just find a way to put it all down into a drink, I'll drink your abilities, and then I'll be able to do it. And here's the thing. What's in you, get this, what's in you is greater than anything you could find that's in the world. 
The question isn't, is God in you and capable? The question is, do you believe that God who is in you wants to will and to move and to act and to work through you? Take a look with me. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now, Paul says, Oh, glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than Gatorade or Powerade. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. <laughs> then we might ask or think glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, including ours or especially ours, forever and ever. And all of God's people said, amen. Now, what's interesting, I heard this week, or I read this week, I should say, the language here, go back to verse 20, just put it on the screen there. The phrase here, <clears throat> infinitely more, this one right here. God is at work in you. He has the ability. He's enabling you to do infinitely more. And th this commentary said this. This infinitely more is preposterous language in the Greek. Preposterous. The English infinitely more actually equals something more like infinitely more abundantly above all. So if you were to read it that way, like in the Greek, Paul has literally picked words that are just so redundant because he can't find words that to give a description big enough of what God can and wants to do in you and through you. So it would be something like, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more abundantly above all than we might ask or think. I mean, it's, it's so redundant because Paul's like, I can't even think of a way to get you to think big enough. And what we all tend to do, or okay, what I tend to do, and so maybe I assume, and I shouldn't assume that you do too, is we want to put a lid on God. We put God in our little white box. I don't know why it's a white box. Just when I was a kid, that's the song we sang. And we want to keep him in there. Because if we could put a lid on it, we can understand him. So God, I, I believe you've placed this dream in my heart, but... I, I just can't see it going beyond this. And God's going, really? Really? Infinitely more, abundantly above all. Why don't you lift your lid just, just a little? Because maybe what I want to do is actually significantly bigger than you're thinking. I'll meet you where you are, but what if, what if I wanted to do more than you could even now envision for yourself? It might take us five years or ten years or twenty years to get there, but what if what I wanted to do was not a lid? I'm thinking of like a Pringles can. My boys love Pringles. I used to. Now I'm just tired of them. But I'm thinking of that little lid they put on. I once asked my boys, how many chips do you think they can get in there? Well, as many as you can fit under the lid. Exactly. But what would happen if you took the lid off? Could you keep going? Now, what if God wanted to do more than that? Well, God, I, I, don't, I, I can't handle more than that. No, you can't. But can he? Thomas Newfield says this. This phrase, the infinitely more illustrates that even the most exaggerated human language cannot possibly provide adequate expression for what the power of God is able to bring about. In Ephesians, exaggeration is understatement. Do you get that? Don't miss that. Exaggeration is understatement. Even the exaggeration is making it. Neither the boldest human prayer nor the greatest power of human imagination could restrain God's ability to act. In other words, what he's saying in this little phrase right there, even your little Pringles can lid that you put on God isn't enough to hold back the almighty God from doing whatever it is he believes and wants to do. So go ahead, if you so desire to dream small, go ahead if you think the only way to handle life is to think tiny or to sit back and say, God, what would happen if I were just to lift the lid off and stick it out there and say, okay, God, do what you have in store. I dread the thought of my house filled with Pringles, but thank you for the one person who thinks my bad jokes are funny. What would happen? If that God thing that you believe needs to happen to make this world a more earth-like place. What if God were actually capable of doing it in you and through you? What if? 
Now, for some of you, this might start close to home. What if God were actually able to give you a new heart and a new mind? What if God were actually capable of allowing you to forgive someone who deeply wronged you? What if God were actually able to give you the power to seek forgiveness from someone that you have deeply wronged? What if God were actually able to reconcile your marriage, even though it seems like it's impossible? What if God were actually able to bring you and your child who you were estranged from back together? What if, what if, what if God were able to do infinitely more and could actually heal that wound that you've been carrying around for decades or years? What if God were actually able to come in as the great physician and heal that, that you might live from a place of strength instead of a place of woundedness? What if God could plant in your heart a dream, an idea, a vision that might radically serve others? in this community, to the ends of the earth? What if orphans who have no home suddenly could have homes? What if those who are poor and do not have access to resources suddenly had ministries that could give them resources? What if those who couldn't afford medical care even under our current plan were able to get it? What if abused spouses were able to find a respite, a place who would love them and serve them? Do you think of the endless possibilities of roughly 2 billion people in the world calling themselves Christians? What could be done if an infinitely more abundantly above all kind of God were working in them? Imagine the power that would be unleashed, the force to be reckoned with for this world, a force of love. This past week, I was at the um, Global Leadership Summit. With, um, some of you may have been there or heard about it. It was just fantastic. Willow does it every year. This really was one of my favorite years. Just it was great, but I could tell you there came a point. I was kind of a, a vision fatigue. There came a point where you, know, you just keep hearing talk after talk after talk of the best of the best leaders coming from some of the best ministries and the best organizations in the world, and they're there, and you got Google leaders and Facebook leaders and Andy Stanley, and you're listening to all this, and your brain starts to hurt after a while, and after a while, my pride rises up. I don't know if any of you have experienced this, and you start to feel kind of like um, maybe not so significant, like you're not doing much, and honestly, it was kind of crying out to God in my own spirit going, God, I just feel like maybe my life really isn't making that big of a difference. And at lunch on the second day, I got to go to lunch with a, a, a guy who's in my men's group, a guy I love, just a friend of mine, and he bought lunch, so that's always good, just a hint, anyway. And um, <laughs> I'm going to have 100 emails, everyone wants to buy me lunch now. Anyway, and we're sitting there at lunch, and I just assume, I just assume up front, every conversation I'm in is a God-ordained conversation. It's from God, and it's for his purposes. I just don't know when I'm going in, if I'm there to bless them, if they're there to bless me, if I'm there to challenge them, if they're there to challenge me, or both. I just don't know. So I assume there's no accident. So whoever I'm with that moment, this is from God for us for a reason. So we're sitting at lunch, and we just start talking, and he says something uh, that leads my brain down the road. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. He starts talking about big brothers and how he worked with big brothers, and they don't have have a Big Brothers in Hendricks County. And so I'm asking questions because I'm fascinated by Big Brothers, and I think there might be a component to what they do that maybe God could be calling us to do here in Hendricks County. I just don't know. So don't let anybody like jump on that yet. Maybe God's inspiring you too. I don't know. So I'm asking all these questions, all these questions, all these questions, and I'm assuming in my mind this is something he did back in his college days. And then he gives reference to when his little brother or whatever moved and went to live with dad and things changed for him, and, and the whole situation changed, and he references his wife and his kids, and I go, wait, 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 wait. I know how old your kids are. Like, how long ago was this? And he goes, oh, I don't know, I think it began about five years ago. Like, five years ago? I had this in mind that you did this, like, forever ago. Like, you mean you just did this? And he said, yeah. And I said, what in the world made you decide to do this? I mean, you're a, you're a busy man. You have a business. You're literally buying a business from a guy. You're in a transition plan. Like, what in the world would make you do this? And he said, well, you preached a sermon. And I don't know if you're in here, Joe, but he had no idea when he said that. I went, maybe... I'm not wasting my life. Maybe, maybe my whole job and yours too is to step into every single moment and just be faithful to that moment. That in this, right now, this is my moment to share with you something that God's been doing in me all week long. Actually, for months as I've been preparing this, 
This is just my moment to share something with you, but then you're going to have a moment when you leave here, and you're going to get back on the hamster wheel, and you're going to shut the windows, you're going to close the doors, or you're going to go all in and say, God, I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what you can do, but would you just blow up my thinking for just a moment that I might walk in step with you in this world, however it is you want to do it. I can tell you that's a whole, a whole different level of surrender, a whole different level of trust. Let me ask you again real quick. What God thing, what God thing do you believe needs to happen to make this world a more heaven-like place? Because here's the answer. You already have everything you need. Don't get me wrong. You may not know everything you need to know. Man, if we all waited till we knew everything we need to know, how many doctorates would we get before we did anything? You're not going to know everything there ever is to know. Only God does. You're not going to always feel at your best, so you might drink a five-hour energy occasionally. But the one who is at work in you has everything you need to answer every anxiety in your heart. Take a look at this fantastic little quote from that same commentary. It says this, the English terms dynamic and energy are actually reflected in the Greek here. To the one who is able, that's dunamenos, according to the power, dunamis, at work, I'm going to blotch this one, energomene, within us. Now, let me just, you're like, what in the world does that mean? So remember, to the one who is able, according to the power at work within us, that whole phrase is these three little Greek words. These two are essentially the same word. This is different because this is essentially the power at work within us, and this is the one who is empowering us. So the whole point is God is in you, empowering you with power to do his work. Notice the words dynamic here, how they're present. Now, my Greek teacher would say, never interpret Greek from English. We got many of our English words from the Greek language. So you can't go backwards and say, therefore, dunamis is like dynamite. No. However, we do get the word dynamite from this word dunamis. And the whole idea then is, you may understand why we picked this word in English as a correlation to this Greek word. Because there is something dynamic at work within you. You have the power of God. Yeah, you clap for God. You're like, I don't know. Do we clap for that? He's not done yet. You got the power of God at work. And this is where we get our word energy. So you think about it when you're like, I'm too tired. I don't have what it takes. It's been a long day. That's how I felt yesterday. I literally heard my own sermon going through my head. I'm like, shut up, God. That didn't really say that. Okay, maybe. I. I feel the Spirit of God saying, get off the couch and go play with your kids. I haven't had a day off. Okay? My power at work in you. But I'm tired. Uh-huh. And they need their daddy. All right. So I grabbed my rubber mallet and I went outside and I was Thor. <laughs> my little one's got his Captain America shield. My middle one's changing who he is, his vision in the moment, and my oldest wants to be a robot. And we fought invisible bad guys until the real bad guys, the mosquitoes, started winning, and then we took the battle inside. <laughs> in that moment, the work that I needed to do wasn't any more emails. It wasn't on the TV. It was playing with these little boys that I have the honor of discipling. You have everything you need in Christ in you. It's not to say you're never going to learn. It's not to say God's not going to surround you with people that he's gifted that are different than you. No, of course all those things are true. But you have no anxiety. But I do have anxiety. I know. It's because you think it's all about you. You think you've got to figure out a way. You think you've got to have all the answers. You think that maybe being wrong means failure. 
When what if there's really no such thing as failure because it's God willing and working and moving in you to get the thing done? Take a look. These two words, I want you to see them. I pulled both of these next chunks of verses from the ESV because you'll see work and power in those, the way they've translated these words, you'll see them. Whereas the other translations pick other English words to correlate. I want you to see them. Take a look. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 23. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Though, in case you didn't understand what in the world Paul's talking about, God gave Christ, who he let die, raised from the dead. And didn't just raise from the dead, but kept raising him all the way up to authority over all of creation. So now everything, unseen world, seen world, physical, spiritual, is under his rule, reign, and dominion. And now their power, though working in this world, has no authority over you. Because he who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. So when Jesus looks at Peter and says, the gates of Hades will not prevail. Church, I've said this before. I had a misunderstanding of that. I thought that meant that Satan was going to attack us, but don't worry, our gates will keep him out. That's not what Jesus is saying. He said, the gates of Hades will not prevail. We're supposed to storm the gates with our little squirt guns and say, bring it. Because I have a power, a dynamic power that is giving me the energy, the wisdom, the patience, the strength, the love, the mercy, the grace, whatever it is I need in this moment to overcome. Church, do you live like that's true? Are you busy on that wheel that keeps spinning around? Just making it to tomorrow. Ephesians 3, verse 7, Paul says it this way. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. I think it's in the same section. If you go back and read the previous verses, Paul says, I am the least worthy. And in fact, I read this week, he actually made up a Greek word. He actually made up a word. So when I'm making up words up here, it's biblical. He made up a word that would best be translated there, I'm leaster. That'd be the best English correlation. I'm the leaster of all. There's nobody less worthy than me, and yet God chose me by his grace to have the power of him working in me to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Paul says, I consider it a great privilege, a great honor. Here, I want you to get this. If you miss everything else I'm going to say over the next 10 or 15 minutes, I want you to get this. God empowers you with power to do his work. God empowers you with his power to do his work. Now, a little side note. The problem is, the problem is, we often get busy doing God's work, looking at what other, somebody else is doing, what God's doing to someone else, and then something rises up in us. We get jealous. You can't do it that way. We get angry. No, 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 no. God told me to do X, Y, Z. What are you doing ABC for? Because you're not them. Even in the New Testament churches, if you can imagine this, people fought and disagreed. You, you've got these um, Jewish believers, this conference going, no, 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 no. This is how we worship God. This is the right way to worship God. This is what we've been told our whole lives. We've got the Old Testament to prove it. We've got the rabbis on our side. Look, this is how you do it. Then you've got these Gentile believers coming to faith in Jesus. They're like, no, 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 no. You don't do it like this. I mean, come on. Does Jesus care if you wear jeans or a T-shirt or put smoke in a room or want to add electric guitars? Maybe that wasn't their debate. Maybe that was our debate. Anyway, Ephesians chapter 4, this is how Paul says it. Very, very, very next verse in the Bible, I didn't make this up. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. And always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. I'll just stop here for a second. Now think about it. He just got done saying... 
God has created Jews and Gentiles. He's put them in one church. He's going to do immeasurably more than all you could ask or imagine according to him working in you. He's been saying the same thing from chapter 1 to chapter 2 to chapter 3. God's at work. God's at work. His power. God's at work. God's at work. He's got to work for you. God's at work. God's at work. By the way, you need to be patient with each other. Like Paul, you just took a hard right turn. No, 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 no. See, Paul's no fool. He's been going around planting churches all over the place. He knows how it goes in church work. People start arguing and fussing and fighting about all kinds of things that really aren't that important at the end of the day. So we just encourage them, just be humble. Think of others as greater than yourselves. I love this. Make an allowance for each other's faults. Just go ahead. By the way, this will change your marriage. This one fault. Just go ahead and assume the other person is going to offend you at some point. You think about this. For, for you couples who are like on the brink, all of this is foundation for three weeks when I talk to men and women. And I say to the men, you love your wives the way Jesus Christ loves the church. And then I say to the wives, you know, Paul says, submit to your husbands and follow their lead. It's all coming from this sermon. It's all coming from the power that you need at work within you to get the job done. So don't freak out and skip those. Make an allowance. Go ahead and assume right now your pastor is going to make a mistake. Would everybody just do me a favor? Just go ahead and assume right now I'm going to mess up somewhere. Go ahead and assume the person sitting next to you, the person leading your class, the person leading your life group, one leader or somebody somewhere in this room today is going to mess up. And so then when they do, instead of going, ah, you just go, you know what, I just knew you were going to do it. I just didn't know when and how. <laughs> what would be different about a community of people like that? You know what would be different? It wouldn't look like your workplace. It wouldn't look like your school. But it might look like a church. Paul goes on, verse 4. For there is one body and one spirit. Just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. He's come full circle now. We're done pausing. I just want to pause. You guys, be bonded together. You're not Jews and Gentiles. You're Christians. You, are, you have one faith. You have one God. Like, what are you, what are you fighting about? You have one baptism. You have, what in the world? And by the way, the one who is at work in you is the one who is over all, in all, and living through all. It's him in you. Because God empowers you with his power to do his work. I find it fascinating that Paul kind of pauses, deals with conflict, and then comes right back to his purpose. Look, look with me, verse 7. However, <laughs> however, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. So his whole point is, and you guys are all bickering and arguing. God's big. He can do anything. You quit bickering and arguing. Make an allowance for each other's faults. But by the way, however, do not forget, do not forget, Christ is in you. And he's generously given you a gift. Do you know, church, that there is a God-sized hole in this church, in this community, and to the ends of the earth, if you have not found that? There's a you-sized hole missing in the body, in this community, and to the ends of the earth. If you have not found how Christ has wired you, your gifts, your personality, your experiences, the spirit at work in you, the things that he's teaching to you, the things that he's revealing to you so that you can dump out onto others what God has revealed to you. You don't have to know everything I know. There are pastors and theologians and scholars who know far more than I do, and it's not even close. And so I go to them so they could pour a little bit of their cup into me, so that I could pour more of my cup into you, so that you could pour more of your cup into others. You don't have to know everything I know. You just have to know everything that God has revealed to you already today to be able to give it away to somebody else. But if all the fears and all the anxieties and all the what ifs and I don't knows, and I, if all of that wins, then the world loses because we're missing out on you. And there's things that I can learn from you and we can learn from each other. There's ways that I am not gifted. And if it were not for the two Rachels and my wife, my assistant and my wife, giving me cards and shoving them in my face and saying, would you write this card? Nobody would ever receive an encouragement, birthday note, funeral card from me. And it's not because I don't love you. I'm terrible at it. I praise God that he has surrounded me with people who are really good at that. 
as well as people who are good at figuring out what to do with buildings and worship services and singing and playing and loving kids. I am so glad I get to be a part of this, and I get to do my little part. I get to be the tongue. I get to do all the talking, and I love that because that's how God made me. And some of you go, that's terrible. Why would anybody want that? That's because he's not how he's made you. But however he made you is a gift to me and to the rest of us. Look at verse 10. We're going to jump down. I might have to make this make sense, but it'll fit with everything I've said. And the same one, this is Jesus, who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, get this. Jesus is God in heaven, worshiped as the son of God in heaven. And he leaves all of the pleasures and comforts of heaven and he comes down to earth. We call this the incarnation. He incarnated. He left what was comfortable for what was uncomfortable. And down here, he didn't have a place to lay his head. And down here, he was hungry at times. And down here, he served and he gave himself to the point of exhaustion over and over and over again. And then when he's totally depleted and exhausted and he just needs a break, he doesn't go to bed at night. He stays up all night long and he goes and talks to God to get more of what he needs. Are you with me? Do you see that? So that he could come back down the mountain and give it away to everybody else. It's the same model we're supposed to follow. So then Paul's saying he descended. Then when he ascended, he went back up into heaven and God gave him ruler, authority, sovereignty over all creation, spiritual, seen, unseen. Everything is under his feet. Everything. So that he could fill the entire universe, the cosmos, with himself. He is in you, not Gatorade, not Starbucks, not Powerade, not five-hour energy. It's him in you, willing and moving and giving you everything you need to get the job done. The question is not, is he doing it? The question is, do we believe that he is capable? And then he goes on, verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers. And at this point, you ought to read this and go, wow, Matt is really important. I'm not really much at all. But Matt, whew, if I could just be Matt, I'd be something. No, no, no. You stopped at verse 11, church. Read verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. My job is to just pour into you what others have poured into me to train you, to build you up, to do the work of God. It's not for me to do the work of God. It's not for our staff to do the work of God. It's for you. You are the work of God. Paul said earlier, I think it's in chapter 3, you are God's masterpiece. You are literally something, an artwork that he is creating and shaping and shifting. You can imagine a sculptor, you know, who comes up to a piece of rock and he's got his hammer and his chisel and he's cutting away all the rough edges to form this beautiful thing that will be a gift to the world. That's you. Verse 13, and this will continue until we all come to such unity and our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Two of my favorite passages on Christian maturity are this one and in Hebrews because they essentially say the same thing in their own way. And essentially, Christian maturity is defined by doing work for God. Hebrews says it this way, you ought to be teachers by now, but you aren't. So I'm going to go back and remind you of the beginning things, the easy things, the basic things. But what's the intended purpose? I'm going to go back and remind you of the simple things about Christ so that you can go and give away what God gave to you. It's the same thing that Paul's saying here. The whole reason I pour out what God's been given to me is so that you can be built up to go pour it out into others. Because church, don't miss this. God empowers you with his power to do his work. And if you have not yet found a place where you are doing his work, then I promise you, your life and the lives of everybody in this community are going to be frustrated over and over and over. One young man said to me recently, going through a hard season, he said, I just don't understand why God let this happen. 
Brother, if you're in the room, you know who you are. And let me just say to you, the short answer is because you're chasing your own dream. You're chasing your own plan for your life. And until you lay down, surrender, and say, God, your will, your ways, I'm all in. You're going to keep hitting a wall that leaves you angry at God, going, why won't you do what I want you to do? And God says, why won't you do what I want you to do? And in it, you'll find unbelievable blessing. Ephesians 4, 16. God makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know that when, and some of you are here today, so maybe weird. So when people who do not know God yet or they're wrestling with him or that's been a long time and God's calling them to come back. When they come to visit Kingsway, if they walk in our doors and 30% of our church is engaged in the mission, they feel it. They know. I don't know what the number is today. I know this. A few years ago, I was doing a whole series on serving, and, and I said to another staff member at the time, I said, you know, if, if every single one of our adults, just our adults, and, and I think teenagers and kids need to serve too, so just our adults started serving, how, what number would that be? And at that time, I think the number was around 18 or 1900 people, roughly on Sunday morning. So let's, let's just assume they're all <clears throat> engaged, maturing believers, and nobody's visiting, even though I know it's not true. Let's just assume for a minute. And every single need in our church on a Sunday morning were to be met, how many needs would there be? Sunday morning throughout the week, all of of our ministry filled to capacity, what would that be? And the number came out to be, I can't remember, 800 or 900 or somewhere in that ballpark. And I said, so you mean to tell me that even if every single Kingsway member stepped up to serve, we would still have about a thousand people who we don't have a place to plug in? And the answer is, yeah. So what did that tell me? That tells me two things. Number one, if you're waiting on us to create the perfect spot for you to plug in, it's probably not going to happen. But number two, if you show up every single Sunday and watch everybody else plug in and find their place, then we are miserable and so are you. Because the reality is even though we may only have 800, 900, or 1,000 spots to be filled, we never fill them. We always go to godly men and women and say, hey, can you do another round? <clears throat> can you serve a second week in a row, another month in a row? Because we just don't have enough people yet. We need people who love kids. We need people who love teenagers. I know that sounds weird, but there are people like that in this world. I'm one of them, so I know. <clears throat> we need people who love to play with knobs. We need people who are, I'm pointing up at our tech people. They, they're great at it, and I thank God for it. We need people who understand networks. Do you know what we need right now in this season for the, at least the next six months or year? We need tradesmen. We need people who understand electrical and plumbing and, and, and ground-related things. We need people who have a special skill set. And you know what? Me, we may not always need that, but in this season, we need it, and we need it big time. On our Project New Day, we need you. In fact, this coming Saturday, <clears throat> we're going out to the West Building. I put in about three, three and a half hours or whatever it was yesterday, <clears throat> along with a handful of other people. One guy showed up for my Facebook plea, and uh, Ben and Jamie Buller gave up their date night and spent five hours there last night literally tearing out the stage in the West Building. This is the best built thing in Hendricks County. We just tore it down. It was amazing. It's unbelievable. I don't know what we were thinking when we built it. But anyway, it took forever, and the whole time I'm thinking, we need more hands. We need more workers. So I'm telling you, this coming Saturday, we need you. I will say men and women, doesn't matter, but we need you. We need some people to show up who are willing to come. We're literally going to remove the adhesive that was underneath the carpet out there, and I don't even know how we're going to do it yet, but it's going to take some hard work and some labor and the really annoying that we're all going to get high from the smell together. I'm kidding. We got the non-toxic kind. <clears throat> we're going to work this problem until we can move in because this is the first domino to fall in Project New Day that creates a trigger for all the other things to fall. And until we can get our staff out of the upstairs, this can't happen. So we're going to be putting in some long hours, some long days, some long nights, and some weekends to get this done. And here's the thing. If God is stirring in you right now, and maybe it's orphan care, you agree with me and you go, you know what? I just want to see Kingsway become the center for orphan care in Hendricks County. Maybe there's something else in you. It's for abused or battered women. Maybe there's something in you for the poor. Maybe there's something in you. You love kids and you know we don't have enough people to serve or student ministry and you're like, gosh, I, I, I think I just time. 
Maybe it's time to let go of the excuses. Maybe it's time to let go of some football games. Maybe it's time to let go of something else that's in the way and say, God, I'm going to go all in on you because I'm never going to be happy or fulfilled or satisfied until I do. Now, wherever you fall, no matter what God's stirring in you right now, that we want to help you. So I want everybody to pull out their phone right now, right now. And I promise I'm done right after this. Pull out your cell phone. Go ahead. It's legal. It's in church. I told you to do it. We're about to overwhelm our system. You ready? This is going to be awesome. Or a train wreck. We're going to find out. <clears throat> pull out your cell phone. I want you to text the word serve, S-E-R-V-E, to this phone number, 317-565-4911. Again, text serve, S-E-R-V-E, to 317-565-4911. And what's going to happen is you're going to get a, a kickback link. It's going to say, thank you, I did it this week to practice. And it's going to look something like this when you click on the link. If you don't have the bill on your phone, you can go home, do it on your computer. It's going to look something like this. Next step, serve. And you're going to just tell us your first name, your last name. Are you over 18? That doesn't mean you can't serve if you're not. Just there's certain things you can do and certain things you can't do if you're over 18. Your email address and phone number. <clears throat> and you can tell us which way you want us to call you. Phone call or email. And then down here, you can't see all of it. <clears throat> you got Project New Day button. You may not even know. Look, I'm, I've got a special gift, or I'm a guy, and I like to build things, or I like to tear things down. I've got an ability. You can have me. Or maybe specifically this Saturday, I'm available. You can go through here. Look, I don't even know what you need, but I love kids. I want to help. Students, first impressions, whatever it is. You just click the buttons that, are, that, that apply, and you go down, and you click send us, and we will call you this week. And if that doesn't happen, I want to hear about it. Because that means either our computer system is broke or our human resource system is broke. But I want to know. Because if you reach out to us and we don't follow up with you, then we drop the ball and we want to fix it. So, staff, if you're in the room, if I get 100 to 200 people next week who come to me because we didn't follow up on them, we're all going to chat. All right? So, we will follow up with you and start to answer the question, how has God made me? How has God gifted me? that I might plug into what he's doing in the world today. Now, what I want to do is, I want to go to communion, but before we do that, I'm, I want to do something really weird that I do every once in a while. I'm going to just ask for grace from our guests, okay? Before we go to communion, I want everybody to stand up. I want all of our communion servers to take this moment and go out, go out, get communion ready. I'm going to ask for everybody to join hands all the way across the aisles, upstairs, down here, there ought to be like one gathered body somewhere in the middle. And I get it. You're sweaty. It's hot. You don't know them. If you're single, you notice there's no ring on their finger. <laughs> matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, all right? And I just want to pray. I get it. If you're visiting with us, this is the weirdest thing you've done today. But look, we are one. We are one. And God is in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being such a good and powerful God. You are at work within us. Lord, this world needs more patient, loving, merciful people. The world doesn't need any more division, especially our country. It doesn't mean any more lobbying of grenades at political spectrums and debates. God, what this world needs is an authentic group of people willing to step in to the need to incarnate like you did, Jesus, and to become the hands and feet of our Lord here on earth. So God... Make us one. Change our little corner of the world for your name and for your glory. God, I, there are people in this room right now, they don't know what to do with this. Would your spirit speak during this communion time? Convict, encourage, move, afflict, do whatever you got to do, Father, but don't let us leave here the way we came in. In Jesus' name.